0: Well, good morning. Turn in your Scriptures to Acts 18 and welcome to a time in the Word today. My prayer always is throughout the week when I am preparing that this time is valuable for you. It informs you. It encourages you. But more than anything, it inspires you. And so this morning, as we look, as we continue in this great sojourn through Acts, if you're not familiar with what Acts is, it's a letter. It is a history. It's what's called a narrative in the Bible, and it's written by one of the uh, one of the early leaders of the church, Luke, and he obviously has his own gospel. But he also wrote these accounts of the apostles through the Holy Spirit, the acts of the apostles. Why is it that those who determined that God was speaking uniquely through individual letters or, or histories that were recorded in that first century, that these are the things, these are the canon This is the authoritative Scripture. Why is it Acts made it in there? Acts is supremely important for God's people. Have you learned the the parallelisms? The histories? The early church and how that impacts us. What the church should look like. That's one of the reasons that we've gone to Acts. As we're getting ready to kind of reform who we are as a church. God has some new things that we're venturing into. We have to be very strident to say, okay, if we're moving, kind of like if you had to move to a new community... I'm, I'm I'm just, you know, having a moment. Because God is spreading out more of our church body around the nation again. And so, just like Chris and Jessica Boothman, yes, first it's Samuel to Michigan. By the way, Michigan is so much better now that Samuel's there. Like I'm, I'm almost willing to go there now. And same thing is going to happen in North Carolina now as Jess and Chris are moving there to be support to her family. Here's one of the greatest things. Jessica um, has been on this great spiritual journey with us, right? And so is Chris. And many of you saw Chris get baptized, what, last fall, right? Last fall. And so um, Jessica has been baptized in the past, but her testimony is such, and you'll hear it, her testimony is such that we believe in believers baptism in other words when that actual moment of faith that real moment of faith comes to you not just a knowledge of god but that real moment of faith comes to you that's what we get baptized over and so jessica is going to get baptized next sunday now many of you were on the baptism list and a lot of people couldn't make it to the class so we're reforming that because jessica's moving this is a huge infomercial for you okay because Jessica has to move by the 15th, we're going to have a special baptism at my house next Sunday, right after service. How's that sound? Yeah. So come, come be part of that. But you know, you all moving to North Carolina. And there's some big questions you're going to have to ask yourselves. It's a whole new start, isn't it? It's a whole new start for them. And some of you have recently moved here. It is a whole new start for you. And now you have to figure out what's important. I get this whole fresh new opportunity, right? But at the same time, how are we going to hold on to being true Californians in the middle of the South? How are we going to fix those people over there? Right? Same thing applies to this idea of why we're looking at Acts. Is that we're at this precipice of taking some new ventures that God's leading us into as a church, and we've got to get it right, don't we? So we need to get back to the foundations of what made the church thrive. And that's why we've been here for a year and a half. We're going to be here for another 14 years in the book of... No, we'll be here for another probably year. And so now we're in chapter 18 and Paul has moved from Athens. He's moved into Corinth. Corinth, if any city we could relate to, it's Corinth. Corinth was the SFO of... Modern or, or ancient Greece. It was the city. Alright? Uh, the number one thing that, that happened in Corinth was they had a temple to Aphrodite. And sexual uh, uh, worship towards the Greek gods was prevalent. As a matter of fact, to Corinthianize something is to say that it is promiscuous. Right? So it used to be a statement within uh, cultures to say that is a Corinthian person, that meant they were lascivious. So next time you get real excited about your Corinthian leather in your your new car, rethink that whole idea. It was a pejorative back in the day. But Corinth is like the big city where where Athens is the center for thought and intellectualism, like the Bakersfield of our time. Uh, The city would be corinth and so a lot of the instructions by the way let me encourage you take about an hour this week and read through first corinthians and see if you don't understand that parallel the very things that they struggled with what you see today is the establishment of this church paul goes into corinth and this church is established And then later he has to write these letters to say, hey, you're doing this great, keep doing this. But boy, these other things, you let this creep in, you let that creep in, and it's destroying you all. And just like the church at Corinth, they had flies. What is with the flies in here? This is fantastic. It gives that very esoteric sense and feel. We spare no expense for you to understand where we're going today. Let's look real quickly. And let me ask this question. The title of the sermon today is Relevant Church. Three components of a relevant church. We're going to be in verses 1 through... Actually, it's more than 1 through 7. 1 through 17 is where we're going to be in totality today. Let me ask this question to start us out. How do you know if a church is relevant? If that's our title, how do you know if a church is relevant? Name the most relevant thing in your life right now. An object, not a person. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. Just an object. What is your most relevant thing? Is it your Apple phone? (laughs) Sandy's like, my cane. Yes. What is the most relevant thing in your life? Now, you had to go through a real quick process to figure out why that was. It was measurable, wasn't it? How do we do that in the church? Is it all predicated? Do we measure the relevance of this church according to how we feel about it? Right? How Ryan feels about that comfortable chair, the people he's sitting around, the lighting on the stage, how Pastor Jeremy's dressed so nicely today. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate that. (laughs) Is it all predicated off of opinion? Sadly, many churches today are. And I would contend we're losing people to the significance of the gospel because it's been replaced with white noise, with fluff, with opinion. The early church never would have survived if it had been based off some of the things current evangelical churches make themselves all about. Brothers and sisters, if the gospel of Christ and the love of Christ is not preeminent as to the message and the foundation of the church, that church will not have any impact in the world today. We have a mission, vision, and core values. And we're going to evaluate it, but let let me give you why we have this statement. And I'll get back to it in a little bit later. This is our vision statement. Picture a church that is relevant in heaven, earth, and hell. Think about the ramifications of that for just a moment. Picture a church that is relevant in heaven, in earth, and in hell because people of all ages, cultures, and positions are transformed and united through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our vision because we take it straight out of the pages of Acts. Let's get into it. Point number one: a relevant church, there it is. A relevant church functions as a team. Well, let's let's see how this works for Paul. We're going to be in verses 1 through 8. Follow along with me, if you will. After this, which is when Paul was in Athens. He's he's done his thing in Athens. Uh, There's been some great things. Some people have come into faith. And now he travels down to Corinth on the coast. It's a port city. Again, much like San Francisco. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now let me stop for a moment and and help you with understanding the significance of some of the things you're going to hear today. So much of the time, people want to take the Scripture, those who are critics of the Scripture, and they want to tear down the authenticity of this. One of the things that you can definitely speak to is the parallelisms we have in history are put right into this narrative. Claudius, have you ever heard that name? Yeah. Not a fictitious character. This is Claudius, the emperor of Rome. Later in this account, you're going to hear about the proconsul, the governor of Corinth, so to speak. And his name is Gallio. Turns out, he's, history would tell us there's good... Uh, uh, Good science, good factual information that he was actually the brother of Seneca, the Greek philosopher. So these aren't just made up names. There is some parallelism that fits right into our regular history that is right here into these accounts. And there's a brushing up of our biblical characters with those individuals that we see, that we studied, you know, in, in our our uh, history of civ class, right? So Aquila and Priscilla have left Rome because of Claudius' command that all the Jews leave. We know that that's a true command. We've read about that in the histories by Philo and by Josephus. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, stop! Silas and Timothy were familiar with these guys, right? Silas actually started with Paul all the way back, I I think it was in Antioch, right? Where they're commissioned on this second missionary journey. And Silas has been traveling with them as part of a team. When they're uh, in a different region, they're introduced to Timothy, his grandmother Eunice. And he says, you are of quality that I want to mentor you, Timothy. I want you to be part of my what? My team. And so now they have traveled up into Macedonia and, and down into Athens and Thessalonica, Berea, and all these different places that we see accounted. And they're doing teamwork. But interestingly enough, Paul went ahead. He went ahead of this team into Athens alone. And then eventually they joined him. And then he went ahead on his own into Corinth. And some commentators speculate that Paul was in a downtime at this point. There's a pattern that's happening for Paul. And maybe this happens into your own life. And let me speak to this about relevance. Is there a relevance to what Paul was doing? Absolutely. But when there's a pattern where you go and you preach the Gospel, you see some success, but you're run out of town every single time. How soon before you give up? What if all of a sudden you were alone and you had to go forward and you're having to do the same thing and you know what's going to happen, right? You know, I'm just going to get persecuted. I'm gonna, we're going to go through this all over again. And now I've got to do it alone? Now this is speculation, but there's, there's some good thought behind this speculation that Paul was maybe feeling really alone. Have you ever been there? How great it is to hear from God. Because while he didn't have his regular team, what did God do? What did God provide? Priscilla and Aquila. Two new people that would become instrumental in the forming of the early church. And in God's infinite wisdom, rather than, hey, I want you to just stay with your A team all the time. I'm going to leave them to help establish this church in Athens or in Berea. And I'm going to move you forward, but I'm paying attention, Paul. I'm not going to leave you alone. You're not flying solo because I have two other people that I'm bringing into the team. Isn't God incredible? Yes. So guess what? Thank you, brother. Guess what? There's a church in North Carolina that needs some, some Jess and Chris. They better really, really need you. <laughs> That's all I have to say. And I want to hear a big thank you from the pastor when you finally <laughs> land. Let's continue on. So he's already, got Aquila, he's already got Silas and Timothy, but they're away. Now two get added into the team. Two new instrumental people get added into the team. You know one of the great things when we have a work day, which we have one coming up, you really get to know people when you work side by side, don't you? And by the way, I really encourage you, when we announce this coming up, we've got some great things that, that, that are happening around here, and we're going to come in and get this property cleaned up this summer and you really get to know some people. There's some fun stuff that happens. Like, have you ever heard the pastor cuss? <laughs> and you won't. I just wanted to get you to come to the work day. Okay? Uh, but I can't guarantee anybody else in this room. Um, but uh, my wife, when we went over to a friend's house. And she, he had virtual reality. The, the teenage son had virtual reality. So she tried it out. Uh, there were a couple times Mrs. Cook came very close um, to uttering some words that um, were pretty sure she said, shoot. Um, but uh, there is this sense of when you're working together and you're getting to know people, there's a genuineness, right? There's an organic. You really get to know people. And so, brothers and sisters, that's what God did with Paul. He said, I've got new people on your team. And I'm, I'm going to very organically get you to know them because they're going to be some of your biggest supporters. So he spends time with them. They're making tents. They're sharing about the Lord. And then what does he do? He brings in his backup. He brings in his A-team. Now, now the team is building and building. And what continues to happen here? So when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the Word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Thank God he wasn't just occupied with tent making. Right? Now he's doing tent making to supplement what he's doing so he's not a burden on the church. And he utilizes it to meet new people within the team. Way too many pastors end up in their ivory white towers and get removed from society so they, they have no understanding of how to relate to their, their flock. It's a very, very good thing for me to get out and get my hands dirty in some of the things that you're doing. Right? I need to be the Mike Rowe of the pastorate. Okay? Thank you to the five people that watch Dirty Jobs or whatever it is. So now what happens is that Paul, the testimony by Luke is that when Silas and Timothy arrived, did they find him tent making? No. It says they found him doing what? Reasoning with the Jews day in, day out about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're going to be relevant, first things are first. Right? You don't get stuck with mission creep. You stay focused on those first things. There's other things that you do because they're necessary. But you don't lose sight of the primary focus and the primary vision. And we will not do that here. So it says in verse 6, And when they opposed and reviled Him, He shook out His garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Now we've got another person on the team, right? His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his his entire household. Remember, when we read this, we're thinking present tense. Remember, it's written several decades after these events actually happened. So he talks about the fact that he goes into the synagogue, he's preaching Jesus, they revile him once again, but he's staying faithful. His team is kind of building and he's probably not even realizing it. And so what does he do? You know, here's the harsh reality that we don't really like to hear. There is a point in time where eventually there is such a revileness against the message and the love of the Gospel of Christ, you finally just say, enough. I've given you the information. Now you have what you need, and you're accountable for that. That's what Paul does. And he he does this symbolic shaking off of his cloak. Saying, I'm done. I'm not done giving the message because God's not told me to change that, but I'm going to take it to those that maybe." More receptive. So, where does he go? He goes next door. I mean, you want to start a controversy, just go next door, right? He goes next door, and it says that this individual loved God, but it also says that the ruler, Crispus, of the synagogue truly loved God as well. You see what God's doing? By the way, Crispus, being the ruler of the synagogue, would have been very affluent. He would have been a very well-to-do man, and God will bring the people He needs in order to establish. So you're going to need a whole different kind of composite to make a good team, aren't you? All kinds of people in order to be relevant as a church. So a relevant church functions as a team. How do we say that about our teams here at CBC? Well, we have a new team member today. We have our new next-gen director sitting right over here, C.J. Lopez and his girlfriend, Megan. <laughs> and we'll let you see a little bit more about him in a moment. But honestly, what C.J. is going to find is that while we get the privilege of serving you all, there's no way we can do what we do without a complete team. How many of you had coffee and donuts this morning? Alright, did you meet the person that made the coffee and donuts? Incredible people. Now, let me just tell you, if those people fail to show up, it's worse than the pastor not showing up. (laughs) Okay? Let's just be clear about this. How many of you were in our incredible adult Bible study this morning over in the fireside room? There should be a lot more hands than this, brothers and sisters. Right? Right? And how many of you had the privilege of hearing Alan teach, right? Incredible group of teachers. I met with, I met with the rest of the team. Alan, I, it, was a, it was a real short notice, but we have a team of new leadership of teachers that have been teaching on a rotation with that first hour, and it's going to get better and better and better. I can't be in two, I mean, I'm pretty good, but I can't be in two places at once. And so God has raised up more team members and more team members. And we could go on and on and on about just the simplest things. We have a, 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 a soft spot in the grass out here that's like if your children step in that area, they may go all the way down to China um, because there's a broken pipe here. There's a broken pipe over here. When Dale Malmskog is not here, we feel it. Not just because we have broken pipes, but we feel it when you guys are not here in your team if you're not part of this team yet i encourage you to say how can i get involved how can i get involved there's such a privilege in being part of a team is there not there's challenges too but not on any of these teams how does this fit with our vision we have a great quote that tied into our vision statement. I already read the vision statement. This, well, part of it. But the quote comes from Samuel Brangle. He was part of the holiness movement and was involved with the Salvation Army at its early days. He was recruited by William Booth, the founder. And this guy made William Booth nervous. And he says this, "...spiritual leaders are not made by man, nor any combination of men, Neither conferences, nor synods, nor councils can make them, but only God. That's how you know your team is relevant. Is that there is the touch of God upon the people that are serving in those capacities. Children's, donuts, outreach, welcome and assimilation. If the church is relevant, the Lord will build a team and people will want to be part of those teams so in, in effect, what is this? This is measurable growth. And we have this constant rub within the evangelical church, especially for small churches. Small churches that struggle with growth because nobody knows that they're actually here um, because people drive by on your boulevard and have no idea that there's a church here. I mean, I'm not talking about anybody in specific. That's going to get fixed too this summer, hopefully. But the reality for us is how can that leadership be relevant? How can that team be relevant? One of the ways we see this is measurable growth. Incredible, measurable growth. And for this, we should never apologize because God's doing the growing. Amen? Amen. That's one of the ways you measure The relevance of a church. Is it growing? And growing the right way? Okay? Let's go to the second point. Here we go. A relevant church hears from the Lord. How does that happen in this passage? Well, Paul has his team that's building around him. He goes next door and starts hanging out with Titus Justice because he's kicked out of the synagogue. And he's probably moping a little bit. He's like, God, how long am I doing this pattern for? How long do I need to do this? And so Jesus actually speaks to him. It's incredible. The Lord knows when you hit your threshold. Do you understand that? The Lord knows when you hit your threshold. And so get alone with Him, listen to Him. It was funny. Joe showed up this morning. I was getting, last week. I, I led worship and I wrote a song. I was talking about maybe doing it, but I. Just be glad I didn't do it, okay? Um, But the reason I wrote this song is because I don't know any songs we sing about prayer in the evangelical church. That's a shame. That's a shame. So this whole song is written from the perspective of 1 Kings, where Elijah is maybe a little bit, or maybe Paul's a little bit like Elijah. And Elijah's feeling the persecution, so he goes up into a cave. Many of you know this story. And he's kind of moping in the cave, but he's isolated. And so God comes to him just like he comes to Paul. He says, Elijah, prepare yourself. I'm going I'm to show up. And it says that there was a mighty wind, but God was not in the wind. It says what? It says that there was an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. It says there was a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And then God said, go stand out on the edge of the cliff. And it says just these beautiful words that there was a whisper. And that's where God was. And it changed Elijah's life. That's why I think some commentators are looking at this situation, thinking Paul's feeling a little beat up towards the end. You ever been on a missions trip and been towards the end of it? (laughs) You're a little worn out. And so Paul shakes off his cloak. He goes next door to Titus Justice. Turns Judge Judy on the TV. He's sitting there moping with a cafe macchiato. And he's saying, God, nobody understands me. Have you been there? So what happens? Let's look at the Scripture 9-11. through And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent why does god say that because this is what paul's struggling with god knows what you're struggling with you want a relevant relationship with god you want to be relevant church not a church building not a church organization but the church you need to be hearing from god that means you need to be seeking his face and when it's hurting and when it's when it seems like it's dry get alone Go to the guy next door and just hang out and watch Judge Judy until God speaks. You all know I'm not serious on that, right? I just want to clarify. You might be visiting today and you're like, well, what? It was his fascination with Judge Judy. Here it is. So God gives him these commands. He's not speaking in a passive voice. These are demonstrative statements. He says, number one, don't be afraid. Stop being afraid, Paul. What's our theme this year? Be strong and courageous. Right? He says, but go on speaking. And don't be silent. Here it is. For I am, what? With you. You want to be relevant as the church? You better know when the voice of God is speaking to you. This should be part of your walk with God not just your pastor, not just these little cute statements that come from the pulpit. This is for you guys. And no one will and here comes a promise. I'm with you and that has relevance, Paul. And here it is. I'm with you, so here's the condition. Because I'm with you, no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. God's already working behind the scenes. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that beautiful? That when you're struggling, when you're feeling alone, when you want a recluse, sometimes God has provided somebody in the background that will intersect in your life and will come along, rejoice when that happens, recognize it when it happens. It's not by mistake. It's relevant. It's relevant. God becomes relevant in your life. So the Lord knew that Paul needed encouragement. He asked Paul not to walk in fear. The Lord provides a promise while there's a challenge. And what happens? Well, Paul does not get hurt. The Lord lives up to His promise. The Lord has a plan. Same thing applies for you and I. But this, if it, we want this to be a relevant church, which means you, you, not just the, the organization on Sunday, but you in your day-in, day-out lives. If you want to be relevant, you need to be hearing from the Lord. Number one, you need to have a team. Number two, do not leave God out of this or you will not be relevant. Number three, a relevant church suffers for righteousness. Wait, can we just go with the first two points, Pastor? That would be much more comfortable for me. Well, unfortunately, we have five more verses we have to read. Actually, fortunately, we have five more verses we need to read. Let's pick it up. 12 through 17 but then Gallio was proconsul of achaia the jews made a united attack on paul whoa pastor you just read this stuff where god said you're not going to get hurt paul i'm with you and boom an attack have you ever been on the receiving side of this you're sitting there and you're saying whoa, hang on we had an agreement i was going to accept you as lord and savior of my life and everything was going to be great you were going to give me those lottery numbers. I was going to become president of my company. My wife was going to think I'm the greatest Brad Pitt copy ever. All of this was going to happen. Paul's saying, maybe. Ho, ho, ho! Wait a minute! I started preaching again and I get attacked? And now they're bringing, we're doing the same thing, God, and You promised me. You ever been there? Because that moment is where your faith gets tested. That's where a church gets tested. And if a church wants to be relevant, it has to be tested. We're only worth our stock depending on who we are when we go through the fire. So let's see if really God went back on his word. Ready? By the way, are you invested in this sermon yet? It's pretty fascinating. Let me go over it real, real quickly again, starting verse 12. But when Gallio was the proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Now some want to say, remember when we go back to uh, Philippi. Remember I told you that when Paul showed up, they couldn't go in the city. There was a plaque outside the city on the wall, on the gate. It says, says, no, no soliciting, just like on most of your doors, right? no religious converting allowed inside the city so that's why they went down to the river some some believe that's what was going on here but that wasn't the case there was a synagogue that was established within the city already so speaking to uh the jewish god was perfectly permissible rome saw christianity as connected to the the jewish religion and so you're going to find out gallios they're trying to sneak one under the under the carpet here's what they're doing and gallios wise so god actually uses politicians who don't necessarily line up the way we would want them to it's amazing how god sometimes will use people according to his will and glory Again, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, hey, they're not telling. Gallio just holds up his hand and he says, What? Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, oh Jews. I love that statement. <laughs> Doesn't that ring of someone who's had to deal with these guys a lot? Don't you see yourself as a parent sometimes saying something? Oh, come on. Not this again. You know? Ah, oh, Any teachers in the room? Oh, come on. How can you not get a quadratic occasion, uh, uh, equation? That's what my teacher always said to me. He says, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. <laughs> and so what'd they do? And they all see Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. Somebody, I, I love the end. I love the end to national treasure. Right? Nicolas Cage is sitting there on the steps. <laughs> Can't help myself. And... Uh, And I think it's Harvey Keitel is the FBI guy. And and he says to him, somebody's got to go to jail. And and Nicholas says, I really don't want to go to jail. (laughs) And and Harvey turns back to him and says, well, someone's got to go to jail. That's how it was with the Jews. They're like, someone's getting a beat down today. If we can't do it to Paul, we're just going to grab the next available guy. So... Let me ask you, let me finish. Says this, verse 17. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. By the way, where did this work? It worked in Jerusalem. Scared Pilate half to death, right? So much to the point that because they were so ruckus. And by the way, the Jews would have known about this. That's probably why they just grabbed the next available guy. And just decided to beat him in front of the tribunal to force the hand. And yet God said, I promised you, Paul, you would not be attacked. You would not be hurt. And this guy, even closer to Rome, doesn't fear the crowd. He just says, oh, Jews, again. Isn't it amazing God kept His word? But let me tell you, if you seek righteousness, there will be persecution. There will be blood. There will be hard choices that have to be made. The truth of God will always be opposed. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light. Those are Jesus' words right out of John 3. Because the truth and the ironic of this, the freedom and the beauty of the Gospel of Jesus is a threat to darkness. Amen? And if it is, you think darkness is just going to lay down? It's going to fight. And how does darkness show itself? It shows itself in violence. It shows itself in rudeness. It shows itself in ugliness. It shows itself in destruction. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You can always recognize the darkness because of how it's relevant in the world around you. That's why when light comes along, when righteousness comes along, it instantly has relevance. But understand and make no mistake, brothers and sisters, if we want to be a relevant church, that will be measured by suffering. If we're not relevant, if we stay silent, what if Paul would stay silent? Think anything's going to happen here? Nope. And God has given us the same command. He has said that, We need to be concerned about the least of these. He said, we need to go into all the world and preach. So much of the problems of the world, the biggest question I get by people in the world is is very simple. If God was really benevolent, if He was a loving God, then there wouldn't be people going hungry. You know why people are going hungry? Because of people, not God. There's more than enough food. But politics and evilness keep people from eating. It has nothing to do with the Lord. And if we're not willing to stand up and become what God has asked us to live as Christ lived, to be that light, to fight for righteousness, yeah, we're not going to face any persecution. There are people within churches, wives that their husbands are abusive, with their language, with their attitudes, and sometimes physically. And those women want to try to make their marriages work. They're suffering for righteousness. Let me be clear, there's a time to work on behalf of those women. By the way, the same thing happens the other way. All right, there's abusiveness that happens the other way, and yet people, rather than just running and living off excuses, There are people in our church that have said righteousness matters and I'm going to be long-suffering. I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to do what Christ would do. It's not the easiest thing, but it is the best thing. And relationships are restored. And there's relevancy in those relationships now. Those things happen because of a pursuit of righteousness. In closing, how does a church become relevant? I have two illustrations. I was telling someone this morning I needed to finish in a certain amount of time. I blew it again, but I had no illustrations. So I wanted to finish with two things. One happened last night. I received a phone call from uh, Brad that he was heading to the hospital because a dear brother of ours, um, Nabil, was working in the yard in a hundred degree heat, and got dehydrated and passed out and fell. By the time I got to the hospital, half the nation of Egypt was in the waiting room. Right? I mean, there was Besbusa. There was ah, there was a whole there was a pyramid being built in the corner. It was incredible. Pretty soon, I was looking for a camel to go by. It was just this great, great thing that was going on, and I thought, this is a relevant church. This is a relevant church. I, I, I joked at the time, but we could have had a Bible study, you know, right there in the hallway. As I'm sitting there, Stephen comes from talking with his dad. He comes out and he says, hey, I think, I think there's a guy from our church that's in two rooms down from, from my dad. And so when I went back to visit Nabil. I'm, I'm, and, and Stephen says, he says this, he says, he looks like a lumberjack. I'm like, a lumberjack. Okay, that, Shane, yeah. you weren't there, but he got the lumberjack, right? And so, uh, so I see Nabil, and then I'm coming back, and I pass by, and, and there's Bernie. And, uh, so my new name for Bernie is Lumberjack Bernie. And, uh. And so, nobody here knew that Bernie was in the hospital except Mitzi. And so, I walk in and I'm like, Bernie, what, what you know, and I got to spend some time talking with them. And then what was great was this. Mitzi walks up and she's like, what are you doing here? How did you know? And I'm like, this is what God does. That's a relevant church. The moral of that story is don't weed whack your lawn in 100 degree heat. <laughs> I was handed this this morning. Our Children's Ministries is just doing an incredible job. By the way, shameless plug. Here we go. Our big VBS thing that's going to happen this summer. We're really excited about it. Ah, huh, Laura, how's this for an advertisement? Right? All right. (laughs) Teamwork. One of our children handed me this this morning. Your parents, this is the part where your pastor guilts all of you. So these folks drive in from Discovery Bay and they run our media and sound and they bring their three children and they're here by 815 when they're ministering if I was like a coach like which coach John Gruden yeah if I was coach John Gruden and y'all be walking in here at 1015 for church (laughs) thank God I'm not John Gruden (laughs) this came from that family came from their middle child Jasmine She just handed it to me this morning. Jesus is good. That is why we come here. We sing to Him. We pray to Him. We worship Him. We believe in Him because He is good. Love to God. This is a relevant church. And it's a relevant family. You all should write a book on how to raise godly children. I'd buy it this morning as we close I'm going to call the worship team up and in the middle of worship we're going to be doing communion in a unique way again I think it went really well last last week Um, and I'll give instructions at that point in time Um, we're all going to when the Lord leads you um, we're going to come up and you will grab uh, your own elements we will give direction if you cannot it's a struggle to get up here I'm just going to have you raise your hand at that time, and we have ushers that will then bring the elements to you when, when people have, have uh, gotten all of their um, elements and sat down. So we'll give you instruction on that in a minute. Let me just pray as we segue from the Word this morning and the encouragement of what it means to be a relevant church. Please, the worst thing that can happen from this message today is that we associate that idea and this message to Sunday morning. I hope I did a a yeoman's job in helping you understand that the Sunday morning is the carryover to being the relevant church. It's doing those things and building a team around you that that God has provided so day in, day out, you are relevant in your righteousness. It's the idea that you are hearing from the Lord because you are His, and because you are His, you are the church. It's the idea that individually we go through these moments of suffering, but God does not leave us or forsake us. Amen? All right, let me pray and we'll lead into worship as an extension of praise this morning for what we've heard. God, thank you so much for giving us this message. Thank you for leading us to be relevant. Thank you for each individual that's here. Let us lift our voices in praise to you this morning as we continue in worship. Amen.